0: Well, good morning, church, and here we are again, I think the, uh, boy, the third time that we've been sort of locked down, and I don't like it any more than you like it, talking to this big empty room, but uh, God's Word is not locked down, God's Spirit is not locked down, and we have this opportunity of having God speak to all of us at the same time as we study His Word together and so it's still a privilege. So get your Bible out. And uh, we're working through 1 John, walking in the light. 1 John and the path to living deeply in Christ. This is our 15th week. I want to talk to you this morning about the essential manifestation of a redeemed life. The essential manifestation of a redeemed life. The text is 1st John chapter 3 verses 16 through 24. So follow along as I read. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. The he there is Jesus. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How? How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 19 is important. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And he's talking about prayer here. He makes it clear in 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Notice that 23rd verse. And this is His commandment, singular. This is His commandment. And then He says two things. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. And that's a commandment, singular. Just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is our, this is our 15th week in John's gospel. And I think there are two advantages. I just wanted to take a second. Two advantages to studying a book of scripture right through the way we've been doing. Advantage number one is, is it, it, it leads you into all the subjects that the writer of that book wants to deal with. In other words, it keeps a church from getting kind of lopsided on one or two topics. It, it forces you to deal with all the issues that the biblical text raises. So that's the first advantage. But it's not the only one. There's another really important advantage to this kind of study... Not only does it show you the variety of subjects, but another thing that it does, and it's important, is it shows you how much emphasis each subject is given. In other words, you get to see how much biblical text, how much weight is given to a certain topic as compared to others. It's easy to give a lot of time to topics that the Bible says very little about, And give just a little bit of time to subjects that the Bible says a great deal about. And that's something that we pick up right now in the study that we're doing. This topic of loving each other and loving people who wrong us. It's easy to think that this isn't a huge topic. And and when you get into 1st John, you realize that the portion of the text that is dedicated to this topic is enormous. And so, and so you see not only that this is a subject, you see that God places great emphasis on this subject. When John says we're to love our brothers and sisters if we want to know God, he knows he's putting tremendous pressure on us. He knows that, of course, if I'm a Christian at all, I'll have no recourse but to say, I love my brother, and my sister in Christ. I mean, I don't want to face the alternative that I may not really know God at all, the way John says. So when push comes to shove, we all know we're to love our brothers and sisters, even when they wrong us and mistreat us. That's particularly what he's talking about. And I can say those words if I have to. And that's why John feels compelled to say what he says in that 18th verse. Little children, let us not love in word... Or talk, but indeed and in truth. And 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 John's a lot like the Apostle Paul in his writing style. He has this ability to, to show tremendous, inspiring doctrinal truth, but he never leaves it at that. He goes on to show the implications of it. What does this truth look like when it gets fleshed out in, in my life, in, in consequence, in practice? So this section is really a lot like that. I said last Sunday morning, that third chapter, 1 John 3, it opens up that very first verse. See or behold in the old King James. See what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. It's like it's an unbelievable truth, and you kind of feel the excitement as he holds up that diamond in front of us. Look at the love God has for you. How free, how merciful, how condescending, how self-denying God is in loving us. His sinful, rebellious, undeserving children. But there's more to be said. This love is not just something to be received and enjoyed. John says, the love God has lavished upon us, lavished upon us, is to flow through us. In the same way that we've received it. That's 3.11. Uh, Look at this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should love one another. So John says, don't, don't just sit and try to enjoy God's great love. Don't just just sing about it. Don't just sing about it. It's an example to be fleshed out. It's a compassion to be extended. The same love that flows through the vine, Jesus says in John 15, must flow into the branch and produce fruit. And if I don't manifest that same kind of love, for those who have been not nearly as unjust to me as I have been to my Lord, if I don't show that kind of love, well, John says, I really I really don't understand God's love either. You see that 14th verse? We know, we know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides In death. So, passed out or abides. So, today, John is still unfolding. That's what I said at the beginning. You get to see just the scope of verses that deal with this topic in 1 John. It's one of the main topics. John is still unfolding the details of what it means to receive God's love. John unfolds the doctrine at the beginning and then he, he unpacks it into the details of life. So point number one, the love I have for you must be the same kind of love Jesus had for me. I get that in 1 John 3:16. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. I want you to notice this. So laid down His life. That's one. Oops. Got to go back. Sorry. Give me just a second. There. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. So that's the first reference. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So there's, there's these two... Laying down of lives, dealt with in this text. He says, By this, by this we know. Um, surprisingly, John doesn't think we know about love automatically. I, I don't understand love until I get a close look at Jesus. I think I know about love. I love people who who love me, I love people who uh agree with me, I love people who are related to me. I love people who fulfill me. I love people who I think complete me. I love people who make me happy. But none of that has anything to do with the love of God that John is talking about. That's not the kind of love John is looking for in my life. He's looking for the love of Jesus in my heart. How, how does Jesus, okay, how does Jesus love me? And that's where I want you to notice there are two uh laying down of lives in that 16th verse. He laid down his life for us. Secondly, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So first, he laid down his life for me. John says, you, you might think you know about love, but you have to look at Jesus. First, he laid down his life for me. And and he he did this. He loved me when I didn't love him. Paul says he gave himself for me when I was his enemy. He he loved me when I wasn't interested in him. He loved me when he was all right and I was all wrong. In Philippians 2, Paul tells us a little bit more about this, this kind of love where he laid down his life for me. John says, I need to know about this if I'm going to understand love. Philippians 2, 4 to 8. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. That's interesting because he's not just talking about have this mind in you, like in your own head. He's talking about among yourselves in the church, where you're with other people who will mistreat you, Have this mind collectively among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Notice, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of sinful man, and being found in human form, he here's what he did, here's the verb, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You, you notice especially that sixth verse, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And And then in words that I usually read a bit too quickly and too thoughtlessly, Paul adds something very important about the kind of love Jesus revealed. You see it in that eighth verse. He, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He, Jesus, you don't know love, John says, until you look at Jesus. Here's how we know what love is. Then there, that verse that says there are two laying downs. We're looking now at how Jesus laid down His life for us, and He did it. He did it by humbling Himself. That's the Philippians two eight verse. He humbled Himself when He revealed His love for me. So, so I know, I know now that one of the marks of showing the love of Jesus, especially to people who who mistreat me or wrong me in some way, one of the marks of showing the love of Jesus is it's always going to be humbling to do so. And and the reason it's humbling is the people I'm called to love with the love of Jesus are almost always undeserving of that love as I see it. And so Paul and John, Paul wants me to think his words through. Of course, of course I'm to humble myself. Of course I'm to swallow my pride. Uh, Of course I'm to humble myself and extend my grace and love for people who have wronged me and who have mistreated me. Of course they don't deserve it. That's the way it was for Jesus. And that's the way it is for me. Showing Jesus love always requires humility because the people were called to love don't have to earn it or deserve it. That's what Paul means when he says Jesus was, was totally equal with God. Let's, let's just be clear. He had, he had no obligations to you or to me. Jesus had no debt to you or to me that he had to pay. We were in the wrong. We had the debt. We were the ones guilty of unjust treatment to the one who created us and who owned us. So Jesus died because he gave up his rights, gave up his position, gave up his glory, gave up his very life for those who treated God with insult and injustice. There, Paul says, that, that, have that mind. Wow. And that's what John wants me to see in the love of Jesus. He laid everything aside when he didn't have to. That verse, 316, he laid down his life. I said there were two laying down of lives in that 16th verse. Jesus laid down his life for us. Now, secondly, we're given the same assignment. John says we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. Sometimes it's good just to kind of step back. Why is there a church at all on planet Earth? Why are there any redeemed ones at all? And there's only one reason. There's only one reason why we are here as followers of Christ and the church of Jesus Christ is born and lives on this earth and it's this, the reason there are Christians at all is Jesus initiated amends with people who treated him unjustly. That's why there's such a thing as Christianity. When Jesus saw the gigantic rift, the gap between God, holy God, sinful man, he gave in first. He had no reason to do this at all, in terms of what was proper, what was just, he had no reason to do it at all. Let, let's be real clear on that point. If if Jesus responded to us with justice, all right, if he responded with what is proper, if he if his main concern was seeing that people didn't get away with unjust actions, we would all be doomed. John knows that. And and we all know it too, usually. So, John says Jesus loved and gave and forgave and gave up his life for those who treated him miserably and unjustly. That's why we are here as God's children. Now, John says, this is how we know what love really looks like. This is how we know how love really works. Point number two. Look for practical ways to demonstrate the love of God in your heart. I see that in verses 17 and 18 of 1 John 3. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love Abide in him. Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Note those words. How how? How does God's love abide in him? If he doesn't show it, especially to people who have wronged him or mistreated him, how does God's love abide in him? How indeed? That's what John says. His point is, boy, it's a little sharper than maybe we're comfortable with. If, if the love of God in my heart isn't visible, if it isn't demonstrated, especially to those who need my forgiveness, who treat me unjustly, then maybe the love of God isn't there at all. My Christian life, maybe, all smoke and mirrors... I might be, I might be turning into someone who sings worship songs, but isn't really a disciple. N- Notice how John continues to zero in on the details of this truth. Verse 16 closes with these words. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so we should. And, and, and once in a while, we even feel like maybe we, maybe we could if there was someone really important to us, really close to us. But those kind of heroic situations, they don't happen very often. They're not likely to happen to very many of us. I mean, we just aren't confronted with situations like that very often. So verse 17 takes me from the world of unlikely crisis to the world of normal daily living. I will encounter... Some people with needs of some kind almost every day of my life, certainly every week, and and the greatest need they will have at some point or another will be my gracious love for them in spite of their bad treatment of me. And whether or not Jesus has really come into my life isn't manifested by repeating certain words about him or any such thing. Remember the love of Jesus. Paul says it's humbling. It always, it always sucks the life out of my pride. Tramples on my rights all the time. The love of Jesus will trample on my rights. If he's come into my heart, I will give up my rights and I will give out my love when I am treated injustly just, just as Jesus gave up his life for me when I treated him unjustly. Those are the rules, John says. Verse 18 emphasizes the very same thing, doesn't it? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, uh, but in deed and in truth. So, So this won't be just... Doctrine. It won't be something I just say amen to. I will bump into someone I don't want to talk to in the parking lot after the worship service, and we will embrace and sparkle with the love of Christ when COVID's over. So John says, he really he really says, this is the only time, Don, when your religion gets real. You'll bump into someone you feel has wronged you and both of you are turning sour inside over some past incident and that person will need your grace and your smile and your forgiveness no more than you, Don, still need God's grace and God's smile and God's forgiveness. That's how it works. And even though it wasn't your fault, Dawn, And even though he or she doesn't deserve your forgiveness, you'll remember that you deserve Jesus' forgiveness even less. You'll think about that. Point number three. Know how much this matters. Everything else in the Christian life seems to be tied to this manifestation of the love of Jesus in my heart. Look what he says in verses 19 to 22. He says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. That by this, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts. That this is showing the love of Jesus to undeserving people. This is how how you'll know you're of of the truth. That means walking in the light, following Jesus. Some commandments simply have to be obeyed if I'm to be saved at all. Not not that I'm saved by works, but there are certain, John says, and Paul says, but we're looking at John right now, there are certain telltale manifestations of what the life of Jesus looks like when it's actually present in my heart. And who would have thought, who would have thought that my love for those who treat me unjustly has anything to do with my heart when I come into the presence of my God? Who would, who would have thought that that these relationships mess up this relationship? But that's that's what John says. Just as John did last week, John unfolds other issues that are related to my love for my undeserving brother and sister. Here's just two that he deals with in this text. So A, First John three, nineteen and twenty. By this, by this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. This is the second time uh, John has stressed this idea of assurance. The first time was in 3.14, and now he's repeating it in 19 and 20. Assurance is the topic. John John is a realist, and he seems to know that you you come to times in your Christian walk where you, you start to wonder how real the whole thing is. How is this actually working? How do I know where I stand with God? What if I've been mistaken all along? Maybe I'm not as spiritual as I think. Maybe nothing's actually happening in my heart. Ah, that's where these verses come in. John says there's nothing that will assure your heart before the Lord more than looking over your life and seeing where the reality of the cross manifested with the the, the same kind of love beyond what the world would ever see as justified or necessary where where that kind of love was clearly evidenced in your own heart toward people who have wronged you and mistreated you, and you love them with the love of Jesus, John says, that will do something to establish assurance in your heart. And there's something in me that says, okay, how? How how is this kind of love for people who have wronged me, how is this kind of love so powerful in assuring me of God's presence in my life? That's what John says. How does that work? And, and, and the reason this kind of love for those who wrong us, the reason it's so assuring, is there's no natural, earthly, cultural explanation for loving those who wrong us. It's This is not the way our own nature inclines us, for sure. This is obviously a work of the Spirit. John says, this will assure your hearts. You'll know you're of the truth. Yeah, that's why John says... That's the way you'll know you're of the truth. That's the proof of the genuine article. If all of that seems overstated to you, John got this idea from Jesus himself. Look at Jesus' words in Matthew 5:44 and 45. "But I say to you, love your enemies." He's not just talking about loving people in general here, your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, look at so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. It's it's that same, you know, you're assured, your adoptive status just starts to shine in your own heart when you see this fruit of the Spirit in your life. So assurance, I said there were results of this. Assurance is one. B, look at these verses. 1 John 3, 21 and 22. So he talked about assurance. Now he's going to talk about prayer. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is the same thing as what he said before, knowing you're of the truth. We have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. Confidence And power and prayer. Those are issues that John links. John links with loving those who mistreat us. Assurance and power and prayer and in the presence of God. So, so John is saying nothing shuts down the walk with God as quickly as a guilty heart in, in the throne room. And John says that love for all the brothers and sisters, those who have wronged us, it 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 opens up not just horizontally but it opens up my relationship with God, communication with God. We hear a lot about power in prayer, rightly so. We hear a lot about seeing God move when we pray, getting beyond just saying prayers, seeing God work in power. And there's an abundance of teaching on all of that. But 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 maybe Just maybe I need to be reminded for all the talk about faith and promises and waiting on God, maybe I need to once in a while just be reminded that that my prayer life is tied to the way I treat people who wrong me. Maybe I need to be reminded. It's such a practical truth. Where... (coughs) Where do you start in seeking revival from the Lord? Do you just call people to the front of the church and get them waiting on God? That's good. Do you, or do you, do you first send them to be reconciled with people they have ill will toward in the congregation? What do you do first? Fortunately, we don't have to guess. This is Jesus So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, just just leave your gift before the altar and go. See these priority words? First, be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. That's Jesus teaching on first things first Point number four, we're almost done. Belief in Jesus Christ and a life of self-sacrificing love are inseparable. You really can't have one without the other. This is a crucial point. I need to sh- It's such a strong statement that we need to make sure it's rooted in the text. And this is his commandment. I pointed this out earlier, singular. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in them. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. How many commandments do you have to keep to be a good Christian? I mean, how many different things do you have to focus on? Is it really is it really like a juggling act? Do I, do, do I have to keep a thousand things in my mind at once? Well, no doubt the Holy Spirit will help me. He'll help turn my mind toward the things I'm neglecting, focus my thoughts there repentantly, those things will be various sure. But John says there are there are two important commands that he actually says there are one command but two important commands that that just must be preserved in their authority over my life. So two big commandments that guide all the other smaller ones. They're both in Verse 23 and 24, first, I must believe in Jesus Christ. 23a, and this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. That that verb, believe, it, it points to a, a once-for-all decision that I've made. So So I have settled the matter that in terms of all of the moral decisions of my life, Jesus rules what I will do, what I will not do, how I will react, how I won't react, what I will say, what I won't say. I've made the decision that Jesus is Lord of all. I've decided that Jesus Christ, on all the best evidence, is the eternal God the Son. He is the only source of redemption and peace with God, And he cannot be received as Savior unless in the very same act of faith he is received as Lord over all the kingdoms of my heart. First, I must believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. Then he says, secondly, his love, which he has planted in my heart at salvation, must now flow unconditionally to all who treat me in an unjust fashion. That's in 23b. And love one another just as he had commanded us. So, so, so please note, I am, I am just as commanded to love the one who treats me unjustly as I am commanded to believe in Jesus Christ. Wow. That's how big the issue of love for the unjust is. That verb, to love, is is in the continuous present tense. In other words, the love is the ongoing witness, the ongoing proof that I do believe in Jesus Christ in a real way. That's why those two commands stand or fall together in those Two verses, 1st John 3, 23 and 24. Because the first thing saving belief in Jesus does, it produces forgiving love in the heart of the one who has received it. So, so this kind of keeps everything else going in the Christian life and certainly keeps everything else going in the body of Christ. It, it gives something for the world to see and believe about the incredible wonder of the power of a forgiving Lord who rules my life. Because he does the same thing through me as he did for me. Remember, Jesus never left us with the task of just telling the world about his love. Of course, we do need words, this nonsense about you know, only use words if necessary. You can't, you, can't, you can't say Jesus rose from the grave without words. You can't say he died as an atoning sacrifice without words. You can't say he was God the Son without words. You need words. But at the same time, you need more than words as well. Jesus doesn't want this world just having words on paper to give credibility to the gospel. Certainly they do that. But Jesus wants the world to see what his lordship and rule looks like in our lives day by day. By the way, why doesn't our Lord just save us at any point in our life, just save us and take us to heaven right away. He could do that if he wanted. Why has he left us all here together in the body of Christ, bumping into all sorts of annoying people in the church, instead of just taking us all home when he saves us? And I'll tell you why. He wants the world to see what his amazing, forgiving humble, incredible grace looks like. He wants the world to see what that looks like through his body on earth. They only see the love of Jesus when you extend it to someone who has abused you beyond belief. That's when Jesus sparkles. So don't just ask the world to take your word for the incredible love of Jesus. Reveal it. Reveal it. I think you can see we've spent three weeks on this because John gives, he gives almost a whole chapter. There's not a lot of chapters in First John. And he gives a whole chapter to, you make sure, no matter how wrong people treat you, how annoying they can be, you make sure that you remember, Don, that believing in Jesus and loving those people are intimately tied together forever and ever. So give God the glory in all of these relationships. Remember how much grace you've received when you didn't deserve it and extend the same to others who don't deserve it. That's how the church works here on earth. Let's pray. We do thank you, Lord Jesus, for such a big word where verse after verse after verse after verse you you hammer into one topic because you know what a struggle we can have with this. And so we're grateful, Holy Spirit, for a text that layers Levels of priority, on top, on top, on top, so we get the message. Everything you did for us, everything we treasure, you did when we were totally undeserving. Forgive us for the kind of amnesia that is slow in pardoning those who wrong us. We we want to walk in that grace. We want to... Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep doing that in Cedarview Community Church. Please protect. Protect and watch over our church. Keep us close to you, even when we can't be close to each other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We love you, church. God bless you. Hang in there. Love one another.